I know I promised you crows. <laughs> that was the promise. But the other morning, I was walking out to my car to come down to the station, and that was what I heard. There was a woodpecker in the my neighbor's tree, and I walked down the I could hear it from inside the house. It was so loud, and there's only the one. So I walked down the street trying to figure out, A, which tree, B, if I can actually see the woodpecker, which I unfortunately could not very well. I could see his shadow moving, but I couldn't see exactly where he was without going on somebody else's property, which would make me uncomfortable. So from the sidewalk, you couldn't see it, but you could hear it like the whole length of my street. And I thought it was so, so cool. And since we were looking for audio snapshots of, of where we are in Western Mass, I figured, you know, Maybe I should just record this real loud neighbor of mine. I love it. I love hearing those <laughs> nature sounds. And that is part of what's fabulous in the 413. And there's lots of sad news that's been going around across the country. In but regards, instead, I give you woodpeckers and highway noises. I want woodpeckers and highway noises <laughs> to ease my mind. And, you know, the whole Nashville shooting is such a sad topic. And meanwhile, the Berkshire Eagle reporting that there have been phone threats at Berkshire High School's prompting these big police responses. And Northampton High was on lockdown. Yeah, so, you know, sometimes a little woodpecker noise goes a long way. And we <laughs> want to hear the sounds within your earshot that you're enjoying or maybe that make you feel uncomfortable. We want to hear what's happening in your neighborhoods. You can send us a voice memo or an audio recording to the fab413 at nepm.org. So welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Kali Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Coming up later this hour, Lev Ben-Ezra, the executive director of the Amherst Survival Center. We'll hear about how food insecurity rears its ugly head in the Amherst area, but we'll also hear about a real fun way that you can get involved with alleviating hunger this weekend. But first... Time for our weekly conversation with our local hero agricultural community, CISA and Phil Corman. Join us, CISA, full disclosure, an underwriter and supporter of New England Public Media, community involved in sustaining agriculture, but that's not why we talk with them. We talk with them because they are a hub to get together all sorts of parts Monty, of, can of the I food ask you community. Question? Yes, you just how did, you be- but I'll let you ask another. How do you become an overwriter? I don't know. <laughs> I think if you donate more money. I think you have to okay. ask WGBH about that. Yeah, or okay. like in Marketplace when they used to weave the theme song for GE into the title music. Maybe that's an overwriter. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a problem. Uh, and we're also joined by Bueno Bob, as I love to call him, or as a lot of people call him, Buddha Bob as well. Bob Lowry, who is the owner and founder of Bueno Isano. Four locations now, right? Uh, there's eight total. Eight total. Okay. I Ta- manage. Oh, it's half right. You know. Four. Oh, okay. Yeah. Tell me about that. There's the iconic one in downtown Amherst where it's a requirement for, especially I think UMass, but any student in the five colleges to uh, eat from there frequently. We got the on Main Street, Northampton, another uh, now iconic location taking over from a previously iconic burrito joint. Yeah. Two in Springfield. And what, about, and what about the other two? I mean, four. Uh, so we're in West Springfield in the right. Riverdale menagerie down there. Right mm-hmm. across from the Coles. Um, and we're in South Deerfield now. Because I, I'd oh, yeah, asked right. Bob, Deerfield. I'd asked Bob to open up across from CISA because I also knew there was a chance <laughs> that when we do, you know, Monty's March, we could swing by. Does yeah. that also count as underwriting? Yes. <laughs> well, you have provided the burritos for the March for the Food Bank before, and that was much appreciated. Yes. Uh, yeah, man. And so then we've got, okay, Love South Deerfield, and what ones are we missing? There's one in Springfield, Cooley Street. Okay. Uh, which just recently moved from Sumner Ave to Cooley Street, and it's doing great. And then there's one in um, Burlington, Vermont. 
Oh. My brother has one up there. Ooh. And my stepbrother has two now, one in Acton and one in Maynard, Mass. Wow. Oh, you moved yeah. out east. The hey. Bueno brand expands. expands. So if someone wants to open up a Bueno Isano, they have to be adopted by you? <laughs> or related? <laughs> it's a bro thing. Uh, as the only woman <laughs> yeah. in the room, woman identifying person in the room. Could be a cis thing, too. It just happens to be bros. So, Bueno Bob, when did the first Bueno Isano open, and which one was the first? In Amherst, 1995. Uh-huh. I went to UMass. I really wasn't that into school, but and I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I was kind of terrified about that. And one day after I graduated, about six, eight months after I graduated, I was visiting my friends who hadn't graduated, and I saw a for rent sign in a restaurant next door to Antonio's, which was a madhouse back then. Uh-huh. It's different now because UMass has the best food in the world, but... Back then, all the UMass kids were starving, and I've been one of them just recently, so I knew it. I was like, oh, there's this place next door to Antonio's? Come on. That's like a golden opportunity. Location, location, location. (laughs) Yeah. So I had had a burrito on Nantucket. Because in 1995, in Massachusetts... (laughs) Burritos were not what burritos are right now. They weren't no. as well known in a lot of different communities. There was probably two or three places. Uh, Anna's Taqueria and Boca Grande in Boston area, whatever. Mm-hmm. That was, I think that's those are the only ones I can remember. Amherst had no Mexican at that moment. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I just put it together. I'm like, come on, a burrito shop next door to Antonio's? Like, that'll kill it. And I called the number in the window from work. My dad was encouraging me. He's like, hey, write, yeah, write a business plan. I was like, okay. I didn't know what that was really. Mm-hmm. But um, I just pursued it. So they, I went and they showed me the spot, which was already taken. Uh-oh. <laughs> and they're like, but we'll show you a different one. And they showed me this other spot through the little alleyway, you know. And I was like, I don't know, but... I guess. And it was, it was a falafel joint, El Sinbad, that had gone out of business uh-huh. in like eight months. And it was all set up. I had no idea how lucky it was at the time, but it was everything we needed. The sinks, the, the, the stove, the, 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 the exhaust system. <laughs> and that's how it happened. Well, and it was just a crazy idea. Well, we interrupt this program because um, part of the, the restaurant business is trying to adapt in a climate where um, restaurants shut down for three years. But I believe DoorDash is at the door of the, these studios. We here, are right? dashing to go get this DoorDash <laughs> right yeah, now. Dash to go I think get he's the dashed here and dashed away. Yeah, <laughs> Burritos are a very uh, portable food and great to like take out. So I'm assuming that with the pandemic that that was a huge part of what you were doing. And here comes DoorDash right now. Oh, here's my order. Hey, man. <laughs> Thank you so much. Are you going to tip them? Uh, it's automatic. Oh, okay, good. It happens in the cloud. What's yeah. your name, man? Steven. All right, Steven. Thank you, Steven. Here. Thank you so much. Oh, he's going to tip them anyway. He's good. Tip them extra. Yeah. Good, yeah. Do it. Anyway. I don't have my wallet on me. That's my good excuse. And again, I'm not eating this burrito, and it is not paid for or uh, sponsored by New England Public Media in any way. It's Bob's order. Back to the story, though, Bob. Um, and so you've got this shop now in Amherst. It's still close to Antonio's. Tons of the college kids are going there, and it's morphed for the pandemic. As we've is it seen terrible sure. that I say the Amherst one is still the best out of the location? <laughs> no, that's not terrible. I have warm feelings for that one as well, and I, I loved Cha 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 
which is where the Northampton one now lives. Yep. And with an homage to that great restaurant there as well, there's still a burrito that was yeah, originally the their East menu. West, the yeah, East right? West. And East the Thai West. peanut. And the Thai chicken. The, yeah. yeah. Cha Cha is a fantastic place. Yeah. yeah. That was my, I went there almost every time I was in Northampton <laughs> yeah. for lunch or whatever, uh-huh. you know? Yep. So this, the focus of this is about the local food economy and the local agricultural community. So tell me how Bueno Isano, with these now eight locations, or at least the four that are in our area, maybe more, five? Five, yeah. Five. How are they integrating with the farm scene here in the four counties of Western Mass? Funny you should ask, because uh, in this bag are two local chili burritos. Uh-huh. Local beef chili burritos. Years ago now, actually, I went to a social event that CISA put on, and I struck up a conversation with somebody about their cattle and their beef that they were raising and and then out of that came uh, raising here locally right Mm -hmm. yeah it's a specific type of weird looking cow i remember this it's like the long-haired shaggy cows that you've seen that look like they're um like bantha from star wars they are cute and delicious i guess as well yeah um and a part of now, if you order what at Buena Isano, you're supporting this local beef farmer. Yes, the beef local beef chili. chili burrito. Nice. That came about because we always do these um, events where we bring farmers and buyers together, mm-hmm. restaurant owners, supermarkets, and we make them do speed dating. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because a lot of farmers have the skills to grow every day that work, but they're not necessarily interacting with buyers. Farming so, it, it requires a whole lot of time that maybe you don't yes. necessarily get to go out and network. Yeah. Yes. Shall we say? Yes. Perfect. It's really hard for Bob in his business model to be sourcing locally because, you know, everyone assumes when they go to a Bueno Isano that they can get the same thing at any location of Bueno Isano on any day of the year. And so Bob needed something that could be there every single day of the year. And that's how kind of we landed on this burrito sourcing local meat. And then the other thing that Bob always carries now, because people need to have items that don't have gluten in it, is Tierra tortillas. Which, for people that have been listening since week one of this show, we went to the Tierra tortilla factory in Springfield, right around the corner from here, basically, and uh, using corn from Deerfield and Hadley to make those uh, Tierra tortillas. Shameless self-plug. You can go listen to that in our podcast. Yes, you can. Shameless plug. Do you know how many farms you're working with currently? <laughs> we buy jalapenos and tomatoes when they're in season. Mm-hmm. That's most of it. Do your other locations not in Western Mass also source some of their stuff locally? Do, like, is there a local burrito for, for Burlington and one for Acton too? Or are they working on that? No, because <laughs> um, they're... They they basically run independently. Gotcha. It's just so it's we get to be special is what you're saying. Yes. We're the special ones. And I think it's worth noting, like I've said many times, when it comes to lots of different things here in Western Mass, that we live in a bubble. But we have, we keep that bubble inflated because business owners say, "I'm going to make a commitment and do something that is more difficult than normal to try to support Mi Tierra Tortillas, to try to support this local beef farmer and incorporate that, despite the fact that there are ways to do it." much more cheaply. So it, it, it works out. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's something that people feel good about buying. And those tortillas are just like heads and shoulders above anything else. Uh, so that right there, the quality sort of sets us apart. And uh, that's the kind of thing we like to do anyway. <laughs> 
Coming up, more with Phil Corman from CISA and Bob Lowry from Bueno Isano. How did Bueno fare during the early days during the pandemic? And we'll hear how immigrants have always been a vital part of sustaining, managing, and now owning this local restaurant chain. Later in the show, Lev Ben-Ezra, the executive director of the Amherst Survival Center, on their Empty Bowls dinner happening this Saturday in Amherst, coming up in the fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to the fabulous 413. We've got more with Bob Lowry, owner of Buenuisano Restaurant, and Phil Corman from Communities Involved in Sustaining Agriculture, or CISA, as we generally call it. So, Bob, how did you do during the pandemic? Well... As you can imagine, like we were, we were half takeout before the pandemic. So then we just switched to all takeout, um, which really wasn't that big of a transition for us. Whereas with some places, you know, they were 1% takeout or right. something like that. Or never takeout. Or never. Yeah. yeah. Or none. Uh, so it was not all that traumatic. I mean, I remember the day when I got the email that said, that we're not allowed to have people in our restaurant. And I was like, well, okay, so <laughs> that's going to be interesting. Um, but we, uh, we did okay. I mean, by the fall, we were doing 75, 80% of our, the, the, by the fall that, of 2000, that we were of 2020. Doing fine. 2020. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's still the 90s in my mind, too. (laughs) (laughs) When burritos were scarce, Um, it's such a weird thing for me to think of since I was in Colorado and they were everywhere. Yeah, yeah, Uh for sure. And I mean, the other thing worth noting is people think burritos are Mexican food. They're not really Mexican food. They're kind of like California food with some Mexican-inspired ingredients and maybe other what may be considered. It's a Southwest thing. Yeah. And it's absolutely Americanized thing, mostly from California. If you talk to a Mexican about burritos, they're going to... Get mad at yeah, you. Yeah, they'll be mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about some of the people that uh, that run your restaurants. This We're talking with Bueno Bob here. I remember that he has an actual last name, which is Lowry, but I call him Bueno Bob all the time from Bueno Isano. Um, the people that uh, work in and run your restaurants also have uh, interesting stories and connections, long-term connections with you and the restaurant. Yeah. About three months after we opened in Amherst in 1995... One of the guys from Antonio's came in. He's like, hey, Bob, you got to hire this lady. You're crazy if you don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, she lost her job because the restaurant's moving or whatever. Um, I said, okay. And <laughs> um, she only spoke Spanish, and, but that didn't seem, actually didn't really matter at all. And her name was uh, Florentina Ayala. She's, uh, she was from El Salvador. And there was a lot of people from El Salvador working for the pizza shops and whatever back then. She came in and it was just like a miracle. She just was prepping everything in the morning. And, you know, we were all like only semi grown up UMass kids, you know. <laughs> and um, maybe a month later, her two sons were working there. They were 17, 18 years old. Before long, it was half of our staff was were people from El Salvador and her son is now my business partner. His name's Rolando um, Saravia, and he's the one who owns the store in Springfield. Mm-hmm. Over time, our whole hiring network became people from El Salvador. So mm-hmm. uh, I work directly with four managers that are all from El Salvador, and they're just awesome to work with. It's like this miracle happened, and we have these totally dedicated people that have integrity with their work. They work well together. They're, they're pros. 
and everybody seems to stick around. Now the average time that people have with the company is at least 10 years. That's insane yeah. for a restaurant. Absolutely insane. <laughs> well, there's, I mean, there, there's maybe a dozen people that have, you know, north of 20 years with us. It's like, now it's like my family. This is just like my, my clan. Uh-huh. <laughs> you just like hang, you know, we have parties and like, and I've, I have a blessed life. You know, I don't think I could be doing this whole thing. I know I couldn't be without the kind of support that I get from the guy who, or gal that does the dishes to the managers that I work with directly every day. It's like, it's so great. And DoorDash? What's that about? <laughs> yeah, we, so, we've um, experienced it live. So, we, yeah, we worked <laughs> in, uh, so I, I was, Phil asked me to bring um, the uh, local chili burrito. Uh-huh. Because it's thing. the under-eating part. Yeah, right. Because he said... <laughs> He said it sounds good when people eat stuff on, on radio. <laughs> no, no, nope. This has been nope. undereaten. And I was like, nope. that doesn't sound right. But yeah, anyway. he's wrong. Khalees loves mouth noises. I on don't. The radio. <laughs> <laughs> Just the, yeah, so anyway. You did that to me because so, I have headphones on. And... So DoorDash has become a serious part of our business. First, we signed up with Grubhub, and that was just like, meh. And then my, my stepbrother in Acton was like, dude, you got to sign up with DoorDash. So I did. And that week, our sales jumped like 8%. What's the difference? Like, why, why is DoorDash so much better? Maybe even 10%. Their strategic plan was to develop markets in places that are not major metropolis mm-hmm. areas. So not Boston, everywhere else. Right. You know? And correct me if I'm wrong, and you might know more about this, Phil. I think DoorDash also teamed up with the food pantries in the area and were making deliveries from, say, the Northampton Survival Center for free, you know, as part of their wow. business model. You know, you hear in the press like, oh, these delivery places are taking everybody's money or whatever. But what we do and what almost every other restaurant, I think, by now does is you just charge 20% more on their platform mm-hmm. than you do at the restaurant. And that covers their fee. And the customers are paying for the uh, convenience. Right. Mm-hmm. Say DoorDash overall has increased our business 5%, like in, in the game of inches that we're in, that's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's huge. And we deliver. It's like Bueno delivers. And we, didn't, we never had to do anything. We just, <laughs> we just like, have the order ready and some nice person comes and takes it and brings it to our nice customer. Yeah. You know? In so, a market that, as you're mentioning, the margins are so slim. Everybody thinks if you own a restaurant, you must be oh, no. rolling in the dough. No, and every time somebody's like, I'd like to open this. And I'm like, <laughs> oh. have you looked at, like, as somebody who's run a small catering company in, in past lives, like, have you looked at those numbers? Yeah. At My least friend. read Kitchen Confidential before you make this big decision. (laughs) And Bob, DoorDash is doing something nice with you, right? Yeah. That's that's helping us, actually. Yeah, so uh, that doesn't surprise me, that other little story about them delivering from the food pantries or whatever, because they want to be involved in their communities that they're in. What they offered uh, as part of a package for our restaurant was to do a fundraiser or two every year along with us where they would basically contribute the funds Mm. as long as we did it together. So for the month of April, every DoorDash order that comes to Bueno will basically equate to $2 that will go to CISO. Um, Which, again, is a nonprofit that helps support the agricultural and the restaurant community in supporting the agricultural community of the four counties of Western Mass. They asked me who would be like, you know, what, what organization would be a good 
match for this kind of a thing. And I, I immediately thought of CISA. And we, are, we, we support CISA anyway. I think it's one of the best organizations in our area that supports as their, basically their mission is to support the little guys, the farmers, you know, who doesn't love that? But speaking of the little guys, Bob and Bueno Isano, you've been supporting all sorts of causes for years. Big Brothers, Big Sisters is a big one that you've been a, a supporter of. That sort of idea of mentorship, which I know is really powerful you bo- both as a human being and, and when it comes to business mentorship for others, yeah. as well as, say, North Star Self-Directed Learning mm-hmm. for Teens. Full disclosure, my kids go there, but it's, you know, like for other, yeah. for somebody who didn't have a, a great time in college and didn't so, want to be there. We have so many disclosures in yeah. this particular. <laughs> I, I have no clothes on we anymore. We had previous so lives. We're really sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. But yeah, why is getting so involved in so many of the nonprofits, CISA included, part of what is important to you and Bueno Isano? Well, it just feels good. I mean, it feels like the right thing. It, it I meet these great people doing cool things. Yeah. And I'm like, man can I get involved or, you know, can I do something to help or whatever? And I was a big brother three times over. And that was, you know, really just, I I can't recommend that enough. Mm -hmm. Um, Being a mentor to, you know, some, an eight year old, 10 year old, I, I was single forever. So that kind of helped with the longevity of my career there. But um, full disclosure, I know several of your (laughs) ex-girlfriends. And we'll be interviewing them next. And your current no. wife. <laughs> Is this yeah, what you thought well, the CISA intro Yeah, right. <laughs> it's a small world that we live in here in the it fabulous 413. But yes, before you had kids, this was an important part of uh, what you realized. Yeah, and I, I coached soccer. The other soccer coaches were like, do you have kids? What are you doing here? <laughs> but you, it's fun, man. You just believe in that mentorship too. Yeah. And you taught, you've taught like an entrepreneurial mentorship class with UMass. Yeah. I'm still, it, it, I teach introduction to entrepreneurship at UMass, about 50 or a hundred kids in the class every semester and it's, and it's spring and fall and that's been for 15 years. Wow. It's pretty incredible. Again, this it's us coming together to, to build the place that we want to be in. And I think that, uh, you're an important part of it, Bob, from Bueno Isano, and Cease is an important part of that, too. And hopefully our little radio show is a part of it it's as well. It's all about building connections. That's Good right. connections build better societies. Yes. And we will continue to fully disclose all of those connections wherever <laughs> they should meet. <laughs> Bob Lowry from Bueno Isano with five locations in the four counties of Western Mass, which, with other locations elsewhere. And Phil Corman from CISA, who are the local hero folks. You can find out about all of the local hero farmers and restaurants that they work with Coming up, Lev Ben-Ezra, Executive Director of the Amherst Survival Center, on their Empty Bowls dinner happening this Saturday. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. The Amherst Survival Center will host its 15th annual Empty Bowls fundraiser, where pottery and philanthropy meet this Saturday from noon to four at the center site on Sunderland Road in North Amherst. Empty Bowls brings the community together to fight hunger and raise funds for the center's programs while sharing a delicious meal and giving patrons a piece of pottery for their participation. How do you like that alliteration? Ah, that was difficult. Lev Ben-Ezra is the executive director of the Amherst Survival Center and she joins us here in the fabulous 413. Welcome, Lev. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. And um, it's so fun to get to be on after Bueno Bob and <laughs> Phil of CISA and hearing them talk about me, Tierra Tortillas, because all of these are um, 
places that have uh, really supported the Amherst Survival Center. Um, Bueno Bob in particular, we were um, really delighted to serve burritos here on Monday, um, primarily donated by them throughout much of the pandemic, uh, which was an incredible, uh, incredible support and a really fun treat for all of our, our guests. Well, that's an interesting part of what the Amherst Survival Center does and has done historically is as opposed to being strictly a food pantry where people can come and get, like, say, non-perishable items and the standards that are in many food pantries, uh, you have hot meals on the regular. Tell us about that, Lev. Yeah, um, really the heart of the center, I would say, are, is our community meals program. And uh, we are now providing uh, an average of more than 375 um, lunches every day, uh, which is pretty incredible. We were serving 80 to 100 lunches a day before the pandemic um, and now uh, had, had a couple days last month when we crested 450. So, yes, uh, so that's really a, 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 a between four and six time increase between pre-pandemic levels and what you're experiencing now for hot meals daily, Monday through Friday, right? Um, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. Not not Wednesday. Not Wednesday. Yes. Yes. I saw that on your fresh food uh, schedule as well. Where Wednesdays yeah, are, so we Wednesdays are also, for resting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Wednesdays are kind of our our middle of the week recap, um, mm-hmm. where we're restocking and uh, get, getting realigned and getting things ready to go for Thursday and Friday. Um, though we do also do grocery deliveries on Wednesday; those are happening five days a week. <laughs> That makes sense when you're doing, you know, four to six times the volume that you were accustomed to before, especially. Yeah. So when the pandemic hit, um, anybody who was working in any sort of uh, realm or just paying attention to the news uh, when it came to food insecurity realized the impact that the pandemic was going to have on so many different levels, including that it wasn't going to be safe to go inside and have these community meals together anymore or even pick up um, stuff from a, a, a pantry, from stocked shelves. Talk a little bit, Lev Van Esred, executive director of the Amherst Survival Center whose Empty Bowls dinner is this Saturday, uh, about the kind of pandemic pivots, which is I hate pivot got overused, but I mean, you did do this very well. It's a real fun dance move. Yeah, it's also good alliteration with the same letter we used before. Um, Tell us what the Amherst Survival Center did so that you could continue to serve this population and then the ever-expanding population of people who were relying on emergency food. Yeah, thanks for for asking. Um, We shifted a lot. We pivoted, we somersaulted, kind of turned ourselves (laughs) inside out. Um, And so we started providing all of those prepared meals, those lunches to go. Um, We also provide daily produce and bread that anybody can come and access. um, And that also shifted to being provided outside. And then for our food pantry, which is like the full grocery shop that folks can access, Uh, for free. And that includes non-perishables. It also includes um, tons of beautiful fresh produce, uh, milk, eggs, cheese, frozen meat. So lots of perishable foods as well um, included in the food pantry. And that we really expanded the access for dramatically. So we both had on-site shopping available, but we also began a curbside pickup option um, and also a grocery delivery program. Um, And those two, the addition of the curbside and the grocery delivery in addition to the um, full choice shopping, like a a retail environment on site, really expanded access to a whole new group of people for whom 
their food insecurity and their transportation challenges may or may not have been new with the pandemic, um, but they just hadn't been able to get to us before. Um, and so those have continued and really are um, still critically important. We're delivering groceries to about a thousand people a month. And you actually physically built a shed outside in the parking lot, essentially, so that you could accommodate this, right? A giant, I don't know what to call it. <laughs> it's kind of a shed without a front door. <laughs> it is. It's a shed with three big garage bays that open up. Yeah, ah. we um, we we started with a whole bunch of donated pop-up tents, um, which each got destroyed in successive iterations. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, blow away. The wind oh. is very strong um, in yeah. Western yeah. Mass. Those there pop-up were, tents want to be destroyed. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're basically a... kites. Yeah. You know? <laughs> exactly. With sharp poles right. on yeah. four corners. <laughs> yes. Um, then we had a really sturdy event tent um, for a while, but that wasn't going to be uh, snowworthy. And so um, prior to that first winter, we uh, we built a shed. We're speaking with Lev Ben-Ezra, who is the executive director of the Amherst Survival Center, whose Empty Bowls dinner is this Saturday. It definitely feels like if you have three garage doors on it, it's more than a shed. Yeah. Let's call it garage. Auxiliary of, building of, of is emergency what we call food. auxiliary building. <laughs> I think, I mean, Lev, I've uh, known you for a while now when you took over the helm of the Amherst Survival Center from now state rep, Andy Dom, who may or may not join us at some point during this show. She was in a committee meeting on Beacon Hill, and she may try to join us if she gets out of that meeting. Also... She's uh, fighting the good fight. Yeah. And maybe she'll come back and talk about her previous fight as well. Yes. And she's still very active in, in the fight against hunger. And uh, she uh, was uh, the executive director of the Amherst Survival Center directly before Lev. Also, who will be at the um, the Empty Bowls dinner this Sunday is Senator Joe Comerford, who also worked for the Food Bank of Western Mass before she was elected. And is also in committee meetings. And is also in committee <laughs> meetings, was also invited to be as part of this show. But, you know, I guess this is a, a time that's very busy on Beacon Hill <laughs> in the middle. Tuesday is committee day and Wednesday we rest. Yes. <laughs> but what I've learned from, from you and from both of them in their previous incarnations, as well as from Co- uh, Congressman Jim McGovern and others in the food security movement in the Valley, is that there are misconceptions about who is relying on this food. Talk to us in your experience, Lev, about who, let's say even who before the pandemic hit was relying on the emergency food that the Amherst Survival Center offers. And has that changed during the pandemic in your assessment as the director there? Yeah, I... I really appreciate this question and I, I get it a lot of who does the Emmer Survival T- Center serve and my my quick answer is that we serve people who eat food mm-hmm. um, and, that, and that that is really the, the population that I think um, we have lots of misperceptions about who it is that relies on programs like this or may access them. And in a lot of ways, I think that the name of the so-called emergency food system um, is is a little bit of a misnomer. Um, it We really are a critical cornerstone of the local food supply for folks. Um, and that, of course, includes people who are currently experiencing homelessness. It includes folks who are out of work. It includes seniors on fixed incomes. It also includes lots and lots of families who have one or more wage earners who are working one or more full-time jobs and are 
but not at living wages and are really struggling to make ends meet. Um, we see lots of folks who are immigrants. We see lots of folks who have lived in the U.S. and were born here and have lived here all their lives. We see families with kids. We see single adults. We see um, seniors. So it is really a mix of folks all across our community. Um, and in terms of how that has shifted, I there hasn't been a significant change in the overall demographics of who've come, but what we've really seen is just more people accessing the MR Survival Center or other programs for the first time. So people who hadn't previously been in an economic situation where that was something that they needed, um, now really not being able to make ends meet, working really hard to, um, to stretch limited budgets and, and not, not coming up in the black, so to speak. And I think, well, I'll just say one other thing, which is that uh, we talk a lot about the surges of food insecurity during the pandemic, um, but I think a lot of folks are surprised to know that uh, we are seeing food insecurity now that is higher than at the peak surges of the pandemic. Um, our food pantry, for example, is serving 25% more people every month than we were um, at the peaks of the pandemic um, and the growth in our community meals program now versus 2021, 2022 is even higher. Uh, so the, the impact that inflation and the cost of food and other economic factors have had is, is really just very, very significant for folks all across our community. Do you think inflation is that the main cause is it, or is it more than just inflation? It's a combination of a lot of things, but I think it takes one trip through the grocery store to check out line to know that the cost of food is much higher. And so if your budget was barely enough to cover your grocery bill before and nothing else has lessened, then that's having a very immediate effect. Um, we also have seen a really significant increase with the recent cut to SNAP benefits. Um, so people who were receiving additional pandemic SNAP uh, over the last couple of years, that ended this month. And uh, I know that for the, the 13 towns that our food pantry serves, uh, the current estimate that I'm aware of is that that's more than a million dollars a month in SNAP benefits lost just to residents of those 13 towns who are receiving SNAP benefits. So that's another really significant impact that we're seeing right now. So we've got inflation that is causing this greater demand than even in peak times in the pandemic. In your assessment, Lev Ben-Ezra, from executive director of the Amherst Survival Center, that during the pandemic, the federal government, as well as the state government, and you've just referenced some of this, infused some extra benefits for people that were needing a help when it was coming to making ends meet for the grocery store. The, the, the pandemic era SNAP benefits have ended. And the the state is still doing its best to support it. Was it extended, extended yeah. as much as they can? And, you know, there's school uh, feeding programs as well. Is did that help? Is that why it's higher now? Because those things have ended. And were you seeing a dent in actually eradicating the reliance on places like survival centers when there was an investment from the state and federal government in making sure people had enough to eat? Mm. I don't think that the impact of those programs can be overstated. Um, what we see over time is that 
SNAP benefits, for example, are have had one of the most significant impacts on food security across the country of any program at any time. And it's very common sense if we give folks who are living with low incomes additional money to buy food and have that benefit, then they are able to buy the food that they need to feed their families and use their limited budgets to keep their lights on or pay their rent on time or fix the car so they can get to work. Um, it is just really, really common sense. Similarly, if we have universal meals within schools and um, families can count on their kids getting a nutritious and filling meal at school, then both those meals are taken care of and kids can uh, actually focus on school and, um, and be learning because they're not hungry at that time. So the impact of those programs is incredibly strong and absolutely they made an enormous impact um, during the pandemic. I would not say that it because we were also seeing increases in need, um, we certainly didn't see overall utilization dip, um, but that impact was really strong. Um, and particularly when, for example, stimulus payments came out, that was something where we would see a significant, um, would see a, a temporary but significant um, impact that those had kind of right away with, with use. Uh, speaking with Lev Ben Ezra, the executive director of the Amherst Survival Center, whose Empty Bowls dinner will be this Saturday. We can talk more about that uh, in just a little bit. But in uh, keeping on this theme of support from either the state or federal government, I was uh, lucky enough to be able to cover the White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health back in September of 2022. And everyone there was talking about the impact that the child tax credit had at that time. It eradicated well, it virtually wiped out, or at least cut in half, let's say, uh, mm -hmm. childhood hunger. Was that your experience when the child tax credit was in effect? Were you seeing um, fewer families relying on the Amherst Survival Center on a day-to-day -day or a week-to-week -week basis? We definitely saw and heard significant impact for the families that we were serving. Um, I don't know, again, there were multiple layers playing into each household's budget. Um, and so it wasn't necessarily that people stopped coming overall, but um, I can definitely attest to that being a hugely important investment that was that was made for a lot of households. And I think it provided, for some it meant that they didn't need services like the Amherst Survival Center at all, or for some it meant that between that and being able to access really good food in a place that they felt comfortable coming to, at the Amherst Survival Center meant that that child tax credit could go towards other back bills that they had or other really key household expenses. So they just weren't quite as on the edge or weren't behind. The other thing I think people might assume that the Amherst Survival Center, oh, Amherst, it's got these really reputable colleges. It's a very wealthy town. Why would a place like Amherst need a survival center? Um, and also talk about how the Kids that are at college have to rely on the survival center. Yeah. Um, so our community is one that both has very significant wealth and that also has very significant poverty. There is a huge income disparity uh, within the town of Amherst and within Hampshire County as a whole. And the Amherst Survival Center, while we have Amherst in our name and we are located in Amherst, uh, we serve residents from all around. So most of our programs serve anybody from anywhere. Um, and we see folks primarily from throughout Hampshire and Franklin County at our meal 
meals program and coming to daily produce. We also have a free walk-in medical clinic that folks access, specialized services for folks experiencing homelessness, and many other resources that are available on site. Um, and even our food pantry, which does have a geographic restriction, serves folks from 13 area towns plus anybody that's experiencing homelessness. Um, so that is something that in addition to serving folks uh, in Amherst who need these uh, who need these resources, we're also serving many people from towns and other towns in the area. And for example, increased access for residents of Belchertown and Ware was one of the things that our delivery program really helped to crack the nut on um, some communities where we knew that there was really significantly more need than what we had been meeting previously because folks just weren't able to get here. It's one of those questions where I always want to get to the root at it and have people not ask or look at the median of things, but look at the mean of things. What's the number that shows up more commonly? Because it will give you a lot more information about your general demographic and what their actual income is than looking at the average. But that's me and math. <laughs> so <laughs> coming up more with Lev Benezra from the Amherst Survival Center and their Empty Bowls dinner happening this Saturday. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. We're joined by Lev Ben-Ezra, the executive director of the Amherst Survival Center, who this Saturday is hosting the Empty Bowls Dinner. It's a fun way to support the work of the Survival Center, which hopefully you just heard about uh, a while back there. we, uh, Our engineer, Betsy, we, we were trying to get her to ask this question herself of you, um, Lev, but she uh, put out there the idea that uh, some countries will support other aspects of, of raising a family, like childcare. She said, if I only had to pay $300 a month for childcare, I could buy a lot more carrots. Which is, is to say those countries put a cap on how much you have to pay right. for child care. No more than $300 yeah, a month. like a deductible almost. Right. And so are you seeing people having to make that tough decision between child care and eating, medicine and eating, heat and eating, that kind of thing on the regular basis? Absolutely. I think that th that really gets at the core of the food insecurity issue that we're seeing is the series of impossible choices that people are making, um, whether it's childcare or gas for the car or the repair for the car so that you can get to work in order to then have your paycheck to be able to cover the rest of your expenses, um, staying on top of your bills and getting rented on time so that your housing doesn't become unstable, which causes this whole other cascade of problems, um, medication co-pays or getting to the co-pay to go to the doctor um, and that absolutely that uh, those intersections of needing affordable transportation and affordable housing and affordable health care and affordable child care all those pieces really come together and I think create the environment in which so many folks are then also don't have access to sufficient and healthy food in order to live a healthy and productive life. I, I had another point, but it's gone now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it is, um, as you said in the last segment, Lev, um, utterly depressing that you're experiencing peak uh, food insecurity right now, even after the pandemic. It was one of those things that I felt like maybe we as a nation would wake up to the idea that there but for the grace of God go I, except for a, you know, a better way to phrase it, that one 
uh, missed paycheck, one lost job, one accident, and you would need to rely on emergency food. It's but like that Domino's, like being poor is very expensive. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that we would we would have stepped up, but that's not the case. You're relying more now than ever before, or the, the people that you serve are relying more on you more than ever before. And one way to support the Amory Survival Center is the Empty Bowls Dinner this Saturday. What happens at the Empty Bowls Dinner, Lev? It's so fun. I can't wait. Um, I really hope that uh, that lots of folks um, who have never been will come out. This is our first uh, in-person empty bowls since the pandemic, and we're really excited. Um, so guests get to arrive, and as they come in, they are able to first select a gorgeous handcrafted bowl from just amazing local artists. We have incredible donations from groups of potters like Mud Pie Pottery and Asparagus Valley Potters Guild and this amazing um, group called Workshop 13 and Ware and really well-known amazing local potters like Evelyn Snyder and Sue Krasner. So just this amazing array of bowls. People get to pick their bowl um, and then they get to go uh, select what soup they want and we'll have about a dozen different varieties of soup from some amazing local restaurants and with meat options and vegan options and gluten-free options. And so folks get to select their incredible seafood bisque or their chili or uh, whatever their their choice is um, and then find a seat and they get assisted uh, to their table by an amazing cast of celebrity wait staff. Uh, you mentioned that Rep Dom and Senator Comerford are among them. Um, And so we have these wonderful local celebrities who will be helping seat folks at their tables. We've got some fabulous live music. And really then people sit and enjoy this both very simple meal of soup and bread and a light dessert um, with really wonderful community. And I think that it is it is all about the bowls for sure. And it is all, all about really coming together and kind of as as we fill all our bowls, we are helping folks in our community keep food on the table all year long. How do people get tickets if they're interested in supporting the Amherst Survival Center and taking part in this from noon to four on Saturday at the Survival Center itself, right? It is. Yep. It'll be at the center, 138 Sunderland Road in North Amherst. Um, so yes, tickets are on sale now and folks can just head right over to our website, amherstsurvival.org slash empty bowls um, and buy them online. Um, while you're online, you're also able to buy raffle tickets where you have some beautiful empty bowls aprons. Folks can also make a donation in addition to their ticket, which is being matched by our presenting sponsor, Greenfield Savings Bank. Um, If you'd rather not buy tickets online, you can also give us a call at 549-3968, extension 108, and we're happy to process those sales over the phone. And we will also be selling tickets in person on the day of the event. So you can just show up. You don't even have to plan. Absolutely. You can just you can just show up and come come on in. We would, we would love to get you set up with a with a beautiful bowl of your choosing. Tell me about the soup before we uh, have to end the show. What is going to be put inside those bowls that people should look forward to while supporting the Amherst Survival Center? There are so many amazing soups. It is really off the hook. Um, some of them, we actually don't know exactly what they are until the day of, because it depends on these like fabulous local restaurants and what they have. But we're thrilled. Um, 
blue heron has made an ancho potato and corn chowder. Um, Ostera Vespa has done this really beautiful butternut bisque for a couple of years that they're going to do again. Um, we have had an amazing seafood chowder from Smithsonian Cafe and are hoping to have that again. Um, a Portuguese caldo verde that UMass is award-winning dining is making. So it's just this really incredible mix of all different soups from some really fabulous local restaurants. So you can show up last minute and ask for the special and it will still work and get support to the Amherst. I love it. And you'll, walk a- Center. and you'll walk away with a pretty incredible handcrafted bowl. Or, you know, something else even more interesting because there's some other really cool things in the raffle as well. So Yeah, I saw that there's a, a hand-blown Josh uh, Simpson platter. There's a tasting can... at Provisions, yeah. a private tasting. That's right. You can enter and win a private wine tasting for eight people at Provisions. And get this, you can either do it um, at their location or they will bring the wine tasting to your house That's safer. you and your friends. Yeah. Bring it to my house. Lev Ben-Ezra <laughs> is the executive director of the Amherst Survival Center. Thanks for giving us a snapshot of what hunger looks like in the Amherst area today. If, you want to, if you're interested in supporting the Amherst Survival Center through the Empty Bowls Dinner, you can go to amherstsurvival.org slash empty bowls. Thank you so much, Lev. Thank you. Um, it's such a pleasure speaking to you both and really appreciate being on the show. Tomorrow, more fun and philanthropy in the fabulous 413. Comedian Jimmy Tingle is hosting an April Fool's Day comedy show to benefit the Franklin County Community Meals program, and Jimmy Tingle will join us live. And we'll nerd out about the schwa sound with word nerd Emily Brewster from Merriam-Webster in Springfield. Our director is Tony Skipped Mall Chinese for once done. <laughs> Our engineer is Betsy Hates Woodpecker Noises When They Are Woodpecking Her House Cordis. Our technical team is Bart Functional Fanny Packs Rankin. Kara, all your stickers are belong to me, Foster. And Punk Rock Dubay is stripping down the soundproof panel. As we get ready to move, musical thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, the Flying Burrito Brothers, and the Kids, and the Brass. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Khalees Smith. See you tomorrow in the fabulous 413.